Welcome in, gather round, and spread it on. Massacre Radio has begun on this, the 32nd installment. Wow, we we just keep racking them up like a game of pool. I, of course, am your host, Members Only Dave, and on today's show, I'll be joined by Mike Jarrett from Running With Scissors. You know, that's what I love about doing this show as we attempt to check all the boxes. UFOs, check. Aliens, rappers, directors, check, check, and check. And now... You can add video game designer onto that list as well. But before we get to him, I'm going to attempt to call rapper Lil B again. You know, if you'll remember correctly, last week I tried to call him during the show to see if he was ready to be on the program, and he didn't answer. I didn't leave a message because I had a radio show to do. But right now, I'm going to attempt to contact him again. Let's see if he is available. Oh, well, I'm sure he's busy changing some digital oil. Well, anyway, we'll be back with my guest, Mike Jarrett, after this. Yeah! I think you freaky and I like you a lot. I think you freaky and I like you a lot. Somebody get Don Ho off me. I think you freaky. I think you freaky. WKMA Cleveland and HD2 Station. Massacre Radio. Yes, that's right. You are dialed into Massacre Radio. And right now, joining me on the Massacre Radio hotline, which you too can call at 440-941-8585. He's the self-proclaimed chief bidet officer over at Running With Scissors which is an independent video game studio that develops and publishes outrageous games just for the hell of it, in case you didn't know. Today I'm joined by Mike Jarrett. Mike, welcome to the program. How are we doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, man. Mike, I've been looking forward to speaking with you, and we have a lot that I want to get to. But first, I have to ask about the bidet thing. I know it comes up a lot. You know, everyone enjoys a nice, clean exit, so to speak. And I did want to ask you your thoughts on the prospect of America switching from toilet paper to bidets. Do you feel toilet paper can be supplanted by the power of splashing water, Mike? I think it can. I think uh, we all are trained to wash ourselves with water, right? I mean, we all take showers. I don't know where in the awful, disgusting train of history we decided that dry paper was the answer for cleaning what is arguably the dirtiest part of your body. Mm -hmm. I don't think it takes long for most humans to realize that if they want to clean mud off of a part of their body, they need to spray it with water, not wipe it with an even wet towel. I'm not saying baby wipes don't have their place, and toilet paper does have its place too, but you, you absolutely need to use a spray of water. You have to. So it's safe to say that toilet paper can be seen as a pre-clean type of thing for you then and not the final solution there, Mike. Right. I actually have a method. You start with some toilet paper, then you wash vigorously with the, the bidet, <clears throat> then you take a uh, baby wipe. And you make sure you got everything. You dig a little deeper, you know. Hey, it never hurts to go knuckle deep just to be safe, you know, Mike. You can't be back there playing tiddlywinks with the hindquarters, you know what I'm saying? If you got to go knuckle deep, I promise you, you'll be a little less itchy later. 
Okay, so let's get to it here, Mike. The biggest reason I wanted to have you on was, of course, to talk about the series Postal as well as the upcoming 4K UHD Blu-ray release of the film. So take me back to when you first heard that they wanted to turn Postal into a motion picture. Before you heard that Uva Bull was attached to the project, what kind of images did you have in your head or expectations on the possibility of what a Postal movie could be and look like? Well... Before we got contacted by Uva's people, I don't think we actually thought too much about kind of live in this small indie void where having a major motion picture wasn't really in the cards or even in our thought process. And then when we were contacted by, I believe, the uh, head of the Uva Bowl fan club, yes, that's a thing, <laughs> I, uh, I promptly deleted the email. And there was multiple reasons. One, I had seen a couple of Uva's films, and uh, I didn't particularly care for them. So I immediately thought, A, this is fake, and B, if it's not, no thank you. Then we got contacted again, and that's when me and uh, my business partner, Vince Desi, had a discussion, and we're like, you know, the guy's kind of an underdog like us. He makes questionably bad content just like us. So maybe there is a relationship here because, you know, if I have to draw up a postal movie before the one was made, it clearly wouldn't be some fucking epic, you know, $200 million box office smash. It would be some sort of indie, small made, you know, sort of mediocre B film. So we were like, you know, there aren't that many video game movies. Let's fucking see what he has to say. And and we met the guy and we liked him and, and so it kinda went from there. You know, we actually had Zach Ward on the show and as you know, he portrayed the postal dude in the movie. Now I know he did some voice work for you guys with both Postal Two and Postal Four, I believe. Yeah, he played himself in Postal Two Paradise Lost, which is a an add-on to Postal 2 that we released uh, 13 years after Postal 2 came out. Mm -hmm. And in this post-apocalyptic version of Paradise, uh, there is a basically a cult of Christmas-themed people, and Zach Ward playing himself is the leader of this, uh, this cult. So he's playing Zach Ward, famous for playing Scott Farkas. So, uh, yeah, he, he had a lot of fun with that. And then fast forward to Postal 4, we decided to um, give the gamers all options for the voice of the Postal Dude, which includes the classic Rick Hunter from Postal 1 and 2, Corey Cruz, who voiced the Postal Dude in Postal 3, John St. John, who originally voiced the Postal Dude in Postal 4, and then we added in Zach Ward as an option, too. Just talk about working with Zach and having him on board to do voice work for the games. You know, in talking with him, it sounded like he really enjoyed working with you guys. Yeah, I, I met him on set during the filming of the movie, and we definitely hit it off. And then from there, you know, I've stayed in contact with him over the years, hung out with him when I'm in L.A., and hit him up for various projects that we have going on, including voicing himself, he was actually in Tucson filming a movie years ago and that's when we had him in the studio and, and we stayed in touch this whole time. And we've always talked about, you know, the prospects of something else postal related with him, but you know, he's, he's just always been into this. I mean, it was a, a big role for him. It was a big leading man role for him. And, and he really liked what the potential is for, for the postal brand on videos. Chief Bidet Officer Mike Jarrett is my guest today on Massacre Radio. 
We're going to get back to the movie Postal in just a bit. But first, you know, speaking of voice work, you had Gary Coleman come in and do some voice work for Postal 2, seeing as how he was a character in the game. Now, I know in the past, Mike, you've talked about how Gary almost kicked you in the nuts and how he refused to say the line, what you talking about, Do you have any Gary Coleman stories you can share with us, you know, about what it was like walking into a bar with him and whatnot? He seems like a pretty cool dude. He was always a really cool guy, but he definitely had his quirks. I mean, you know, he was this like tormented celebrity soul, right? Like he was very famous for something that he didn't want to remember. And he didn't want to remember it because, well, he didn't make any money off of it. I mean, his parents stole all of his money. So it's kind of a very bitter, it's like a bittersweet thing, right? Like he was very famous, very recognizable, but at the same time he was fucking broke. And it was this just horrible memory of his family screwing him over. So it was, it's a, it's a, he was a very uh, odd bird. He he did like to have a lot of fun, and he did come out to Tucson quite a few times. I definitely have some crazy stories with Gary. One being, I took him to this bar one night, and uh, you know, it was a very popular Sunday night bar with a lot of college kids. He was totally cool taking pictures with people and shaking people's hands, but he was like very very upfront about no flash photography. Now I don't know why, but he didn't like flashes, and. <laughs> Uh, back then, you know, people carried around digital cameras and when you're in a bar, you kind of have to use flash. And so a few people took pictures with him and the flashes went off and he really, really lost his cool. And he had brought a girl with him on that trip and she was what I would call very, very friendly. Okay. He was talking to everybody there. I mean, nothing bad, but just very, very, very social. And he didn't particularly care for that. And after she talked to the wrong person and he got too many flashes in his face he sort of disappeared and I was like "Eh, you know whatever I'll let him cool off somewhere and about five minutes later somebody comes running up to me and they're like hey man you got to take care of your boy and I'm like what do you mean and they they walk me out front and I kid you not he's standing on top of a BMW uh, sort of yelling into the void about I don't even know what. I mean, he was really pissed off. So he was screaming and yelling while standing on top of a Beamer. And I look at him and I'm like, dude, you got to, you got to get down. Like that's somebody's very expensive car. And he said, I don't give a fuck about anybody's car. This bitch, that bitch, you know, and he's obviously very mad about the flashes and this girl talking to people. And so I'm like, all right, man, time to get down. So I sort of help him down off the car, calm him down. And we collect his girl and we get the fuck out of there. So, I mean, seeing Gary in that moment, I'm guessing had to be kind of surreal for you, I bet. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny for me. I, I wouldn't consider Gary Coleman some part of my childhood, right? Like he's the show that he was famous for was definitely not big when I was a kid. It was before I was old enough to really watch TV. And so I knew who he was peripherally. Mm-hmm. It was still very cool to hang out with him all the time. And, and, and it was very weird walking around with somebody that everybody knew. And now it's funny. Uh, he is definitely known again, but almost entirely because of us. You know, I'm not saying Postal 2 is the biggest thing that's ever happened. It clearly is not. But it is definitely a game that has stood the test of time. It's still selling tons of copies 20 years later. And he's clearly the celebrity lead role in the game. And so, you know, people younger than me, significantly younger than me, are being introduced to Gary Coleman that way. And uh, it is pretty cool. I mean, rest in peace, Gary. But it, it is cool that he's had sort of a 
a massive second wind of celebrity uh, notoriety because of Postal 2. You know, Mike, now that I think about it, I even saw a video on YouTube of Gary playing the Postal 2 game on a laptop, and he genuinely seemed like he was enjoying himself and was having a great time, you know? I never realized how much of a gamer he was at heart. He was. He really did enjoy playing it. It was funny. He didn't play it for quite a while. I mean, it's not like he was in Tucson and he could come check out the game as we were working on it. But well, he, he did come a few times and watching him play was actually really funny to, to see. And it actually helped because, you know, we'd bring him to E3 and, and various conventions. Like we brought him to a thing called CyberX Games, which was alongside, uh, uh, alongside CES. And he did interact with people very well at gaming conventions. And, and, and unlike most celebrities who have literally no idea what they're in or what they do, especially when they do voice work for video games. He was pretty intimate with it. He really did know the game because he played it and he was a gamer. So it wasn't, it wasn't hard for him to get to that point. So it, it it did really work out. The times we had with him were very good. And, you know, we did have a falling out with him around the time the movie was made and it was no fault of our own. I mean, he was, he was originally supposed to be in the movie, but he fell ill and he didn't tell anybody and so while they were casting the movie and setting everything up, he sort of just disappeared. And, you know, you can't hold up movie productions for, right. you know, someone that's even if he's one of the main characters. So I, I believe Uva just very quickly uh, replaced him with Vern Troyer, who I believe in the in the long run was probably a better choice because of what the character went through in the movie. I don't think Gary would have been okay uh-huh. with what Vern went through <laughs> in the postal movie. So for the movie itself, I think Vern was a better choice. Also rest in peace. But it, that is how, I mean, he was, you know, Gary was supposed to make it to the movie. He just didn't. So. How much of the game, whether it be the mechanics, the design or whatever, how much of Postal 2 do you think was inspired by a game like Doom or Duke Nukem 3D even? I mean, both were so popular around the initial release of the first Postal. Is there anything, at least from either of those series, that you draw from when coming up with ideas for the games, whether it be back when you first started or even today? Well, I mean, obviously, at the move from Postal 1 to 2, the move from you know this isometric top-down shooter to a first-person shooter was heavily inspired by what became popular at that time. I mean... You know, first-person shooters prior to Postal 1 were very limited in scope. I mean, they did exist. There was, you know, things like GoldenEye. But real first-person shooters didn't get popular until, you know, Wolfenstein, Doom, Quake, things like that. So while the game itself is not particularly inspired by it, you know, we we nowadays have a term for what those games are, and they're called boomer shooters. Um, Postal 2 is definitely not a boomer shooter, but the first-person perspective and things that happen definitely obviously inspired by that. And then for us, it was a better way to sort of give you an insight into the character, right? Like when it's third person, especially top down isometric and the characters are so small, Mm -hmm. you really have no direct connection with the character. And the things that the dude was saying in Postal One were credited as the demon, which means it wasn't particularly his voice. Mm -hmm. So Postal Two, we sort of changed that up. The demon voice became the dude. The extreme dark nature of Postal 1 became a significantly more lighthearted, but still dark humor type of game. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to even say the games are connected, but they sort of are, but we're not really big into lore. So, <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, we get, we get tons of emails every day asking us about lore questions, and my answer is always the same. We don't give a shit. <laughs> 
Continuity isn't really your thing then, huh? No, no, not at all. <laughs> well, no. Well, I ask because I know your face is on the cow boss at the end of Postal 2, I believe. You know, very reminiscent of John Romero with his head on the spike at the end of Doom 2, you know? Yeah, that that one sort of came about because, um, you know, the business and development in our office historically don't particularly get along. And I'm guessing that's most places, <laughs> you know, the developers and the business people aren't particularly the best of friends. And that doesn't mean we're enemies, but it does mean we like to fuck with each other. So, you know, in, in Postal 2, obviously my office is in the bathroom. While that is maybe prescient of my more modern bidet crusade it had nothing to do with that at the time the guy that made the level brian me and him just sort of used to have arguments on the <clears throat> on the running with scissors forums and we hardly spoke in person because he just didn't talk a lot but when he made this level he just decided fuck it i'm putting mike's office in the bathroom <laughs> and uh so that was his way of sort of shitting on me there and then when apocalypse weekend was being worked on uh, our, our our artist josh had created this giant monster cow character and it was bald, and obviously I'm, I was, I had a shaved head back in the day, and he was like, I think I'm going to put your face on it. And I was like, I fucking love it. And obviously I can do voices. I can do a lot of voices. So uh, I clearly voiced myself uh, playing the Mad Cow, and that character has lived on. I mean, we reuse him again in Paradise Lost. He had a nice wedding. And uh, he's not in any game since, but we'd like to use him again. So Postal 2 came out shortly after and around the time of the Grand Theft Auto 3 craze. I can remember it very well myself. So why, in your mind, did the game not do well here in the States? I know in Germany and Russia, Postal 2 did good. But with the success of Grand Theft Auto 3, which I would argue was even more of a mature game than Postal 2, why do you think Postal didn't perform nearly as well? Because... Back then, these were the hot style of games everybody wanted to play. Well, the, the obvious answer is money. We are what I like to refer to as a toxic brand. And it really only stems from what happened in 1997. I mean, the first Postal game was extremely different from everything else that came out. It was the first game where you could kill innocent civilians and, and really just shoot whatever you wanted. GTA 1 hadn't come out yet. And Postal One had a massive publisher. I mean, there was a company called Ripcord Games, which was a subsidiary of Panasonic Interactive that was publishing Postal One. It had a ton of marketing behind it, massive booth at, at E3 in Atlanta. I mean, it was a big deal. And because of the backlash that happened, you know, uh, Joseph Lieberman taking it in front of the Senate, a misread on the, on the Howard Stern show, uh, they basically said, you need to go away. I mean, they took the game off the shelves instead of, you know, if it was take two with Rockstar, they would have, they would have stood behind it, but they didn't stand behind it. They actually sort of cowered away because Panasonic formed a label specifically to release Postal. And then they sort of got outed as the person behind it. And Panasonic was, you know, kind of this wholesome Japanese brand. Mm -hmm. And they just, they just went away. And that, notoriety that we got in 1997 even though everything between 97 and 2002 was heading towards nobody cares about this crap anymore we couldn't find a publisher to save our lives for postal 2 none of the big guys wanted to touch us and that was very surprising to all of us because we really thought especially because of gta 3 this is going to be no problem we're going to have someone behind us. And we did find a publisher but it was like a nothing boutique publisher that had no pull no money and turned out to be just one giant scam anyway. Oh. And Postal 2, while it has 
like I said, it stood the test of time. It's significantly more popular today than it ever was in the early 2000s. It really missed its mark back then. You know, I wanted to ask you, Mike, why do you think you couldn't shake the name problem you had when Postal 2 was coming out? Because at the time, like I had mentioned, you had games like Grand Theft Auto 3 and other violent titles from Rockstar who were getting praise for that type of content. But for Postal 2, running with scissors wasn't able to shake that stink from the initial installment. Why do you think that is? We see it today. We still have this uh, scapegoat of the industry reputation right like postal is still not allowed on xbox we are not told why the game is on nintendo switch the game is on playstation but microsoft refuses to approve any of our games postal one we had ported to android years back Mm -hmm. google removed it from their store they said this doesn't this isn't going to be for sale on our platform which google's known for selling anything so like we're still dealing with the reputation that postal has even though it's not any better or worse than anything out there. I mean, we can we can sit and sort of nitpick at what was the problem with Postal 2. And yeah, it was definitely the first game where you could just like pee on anything at any time. But like, I sincerely doubt that was some major line draw that every company had. It just, it was just a toxic brand they didn't want to associate. And, and we've seen it happen. I and mean, we, we, we were very close to having a pretty big publisher for Postal 4. And there was some internal discussion after we had already gotten a contract where one of the owners just decided like, Ooh, we don't really want to be associated with those guys. We're going to take a brief time out here on massacre radio and be back with more from my guest today, Mike Jarrett. After this inside of you, there are two wolves and they're both listening to massacre radio only on WKMA Cleveland NHD two station. We're back here on Massacre Radio, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is the Chief Bidet Officer over there at Running With Scissors. Yes, it's Mike Jarrett. We're talking about Gary Colbin, and I was just about to ask you, Mike, despite not doing well initially, Postal 2 has since found its footing, so to speak, in the years since, performing very well on Steam and all that. What is the biggest factor you attribute to the continued popularity of not only Postal 2, but the series in general, Mike? To be honest, I don't really know other than the game was ahead of its time. It's got a lot of stuff you don't see right away. The graphics weren't great at the time, and they're definitely not great today, but they have aged better than a lot of product had from 2003. Um, we have definitely lovingly taken care of the game for 20 years. I mean, hell, we just put out a major patch a few months ago for Postal 2 on Steam, and we're continuing to do that. So, like, it's not just this you know, loved game from 2003. It is this continuously massaged game that's filled with tons of fan-made content since day one. I mean, really, if you told me in 2003 that this game would be selling as much as it does in 2024 and have a 95-plus percent user score on Steam, I would tell you you're crazy. But, like, it does. It's in the top 100 games on Steam, according to user ratings. That's nuts. You know, Mike, you've done all this independently and with never really being allowed into retail stores. And despite that, you've still been able to find success. And I just think that says a lot about the independent spirit and what you really have going on over there at Running With Scissors, you know? Yeah, we have never, ever taken a publisher's money except for Postal 1, and that was before everything happened. So since Postal 1, we've been nothing but a true indie. That doesn't mean we have to be. If somebody wants to give us money, we'll gladly take it. 
but uh, nobody's jumping on that yet. So here we are continuing to do this on our own, doing what we want, doing what makes us laugh. Mike, I don't know how else to ask you, so I'm going to ask you in the most respectful way possible. And I'm not trying to upset you or piss you off with this. I'm just genuinely curious because in the past, I've heard you mentioned and state that you make games that are, quote, pieces of shit that we can laugh at. And I love that spirit, but why not just make, quote, a good game, you know, little refinements here or there. I mean, do you think that if you did that, it would take away from the overall charm of the Postal series or just why not make it funny and outrageous, but also, quote, good? <laughs> um, I don't really how to answer that because I think I just shit on our games more just to be funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't consider Postal 4 to actually be a piece of shit. I do think it has its fair share of issues and we definitely released it in an unfinished state. But, you know, we, we do get quite a bit of email from people basically stating that, like, why did you make Postal 4 look so good? You should have made it look shittier. Like, that is a, a recurring theme with what we hear from people. And what's funny is when we made Postal 4, the boomer shooter craze was not in full force yet. But I think if we had started on Postal 4 maybe a year or two later, that's probably the direction we would have went. We would have went with a more almost 90s look and vibe because a that's a lot easier to make b you can get away with a lot more overhead wise if you make the game look crappier usually but it's just not what we did and for us we wanted to make this you know quote unquote modern looking game obviously our game doesn't look like triple a titles but the problem is when you start doing that you get compared to triple a titles so we we get while we get a bunch of fan mail saying why didn't you make this game look crappy we also get a lot of mail from people going why the fuck does your game do this Uh, haven't you seen what gta does and it's like i'm gonna stop you there bud um we've barely spent a few million dollars on this game uh rockstar spent 350 million dollars on gta 3 so like they're not in the same league financially so you know every request we see for that which is understandable you know when you're a gamer you want to see what you see in other games but you know it might have been our mistake to try to make it look like a a top tier game because then people expect everything to be top tier mike jarrett from running with scissors is my guest today hey also of note I believe it's the very first postal that has the Guinness Book of World Records for most divisively reviewed game, is it, Mike? It was number two. We received a zero out of ten from Computer Gaming World. The famous quote is, until they package syphilis, Postal 2 is the worst product ever foisted upon the consumer. And there was a site called Game Rankings back then. Now it's Metacritic, but back then it was called Game Rankings. Mm-hmm. On their aggregator, they had obviously our zero from Computer Gaming World. And there was another aggregated site that gave us a 100%. So we submitted to the Guinness Records for, you know, whatever, most wildly reviewed game. And they decided that we got the most critically divisive game. Now you can't look that up on their website because we didn't pay them what they wanted to be paid for that that award, but it did exist. Didn't you at least print out the email and frame it and hang it up in your office bathroom or anything like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. We definitely have an email. And, you know, I should contact them again and see if we can get that reactivated because they did give it to us. So, Mike, it's my understanding that 
Postal 2 was reviewed by someone who didn't even play the game, which was also the case with Uwe Boll's critics who he boxed. You know, a lot of those guys who dismissed his work also later admitted to never watching the film. So I want to ask you, is this sort of thing more commonplace than some might think where someone, a reviewer or whatever, with a website or on YouTube says some unsavory things about the game that they never even played in the first place? I mean, that has to be frustrating. Yeah, that that does happen. I mean, you, these these companies have all these games and they decide who gets what. And all it takes is for a reviewer to decide he doesn't like something. And if you read the review, you can sort of tell they didn't play the game. They just took a moral stand against it. And then they used their platform to grandstand. I mean, that's it's <laughs> for us. It's like breathing, you know, like we see it all the time. So it's not, uh, it's not weird. But when people hear about that, they sort of say, well, how is that possible? And it's like, well, you know, make something controversial and you'll see real quick. I want to get back to the Postal movie here, Mike. In what ways do you feel the movie Postal by Uva Bull helped move the meter overall for the Postal series and running with scissors as a whole? Well, you know, it's it's this funny tale of what I consider to be Uva's best movie. And it may be the most viewed movie he's had because of how it sort of lasted this long. But it really never got off the ground, sort of similar to how Postal 2 did, right? Like, it was supposed to have a wide release in theaters, but it didn't because of how poorly In the Name of the King did right before. And it barely got released on DVD because of this. So it sort of had this failed launch. But if you watch it, it's definitely some of Uva's best work. And it is a real shame that it didn't get the release that it was supposed to. But it has had the tail that you want when you when you're sort of writing up, you know, your business plan for a movie. So our fans love it. I mean, really, it is well loved by our fans. I get asked about it all the time. I get asked about making a second movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's definitely helped. There is no doubt about it. And even though there's been plenty of video game movies now, as Uva put it, and I don't disagree with him, Postal is probably one of the most game to film accurate translations of a product that there is. I mean, he says it's more accurate than the last of us. I'm not totally sure that's true. (laughs) The last of us. I mean, obviously we're not talking about the same product here. The last of us is a phenomenal series, but it's also quite accurate to the game. So um, I don't know. It, they're, they're pretty they're pretty tied when it comes to accuracy. We had Uva Bowl on last week, and he had mentioned the one thing he did love about working with you guys at Running With Scissors is that you were all on board with anything crazy that he wanted to do. What exactly was your involvement with the film? You know, Did you have any input on the writing or ideas? And just talk a bit about being in a collaborative relationship with Uva Bowl and seeing his workflow up close. Well, originally it was write a treatment and we'll work on this together. So we as a team sat down and we wrote a treatment for what we'd like in a film. And ours was absolutely not a slapstick humor movie. It was more of what he did with maybe Rampage, but maybe a little less serious, just more dark humor. And when we sent it to him, he goes, okay, thank you. And he did nothing (laughs) from our treatment. Um, And and basically what was supposed to be a collaboration really just was like, I'm going to write the script and I'm going to send it to you. And and he did. And we were like, okay, well, we don't make movies, so that's fine. And he sent us the script. And like, I got to tell you, reading the opening scene on paper was not particularly funny at all. Um, You know, my family's from New York. Vince is from New York. 
you know, uh, a 9-11 joke in 2005 wasn't particularly easy to read, but there was definitely no talking him off the ledge. And uh, as it turns out, I consider it to be the best scene in the movie. But, uh, you know, reading the movie, it was odd because he didn't have any slapstick humor films at the time other than whatever the German fried movie or whatever. So we didn't really know what to expect. Like I said, we're not filmmakers. So we sort of were like, well, you know, it's his money. It's his. Let's see what he does. And while we don't agree with everything that was done and we definitely used, you know, uh, an independent editor to cut it down a little bit. Um, it is definitely a, a very well done product. I was looking at the Running with Scissors website and I noticed a bunch of cool swag for the folks to check out. Everything from plushies, signs, posters, and my favorite, the hockey jersey. There's a lot of great stuff up there. Now, I know it might not have too much to do with the game, but I was surprised to see it didn't have anything but day related up there. Well, we missed the mark there. Uh, Before the pandemic, I was very close to ordering a pallet of bidets on Alibaba to throw Mike J's bidets stickers on and resell them on our website. And it just didn't happen. Like the cost to ship, it just just wasn't going to be financially a great decision at the time. And then, of course, the pandemic happened and the days became like ultra scarce because everybody bought them up. Yeah, (laughs) I missed out on that one. And you're right. We need to sell something bidet related. So I don't know what that will be. Um, Maybe I can look into getting those again. But uh, you are correct. It does pain me to say we don't sell bidets. I also know you guys do a podcast, and I just came across it, and I haven't had a chance to listen to any episode yet, although I intend to. Just tell the good folks here listening at home what the podcast is all about and what your involvement in it might be, if any. Uh, The podcast is called the I Regret Nothing Podcast. It has been streamed live. We do it live, so we do it live on YouTube, and we stream it on a couple other systems before I ripped the audio and put it onto uh, streaming services, but I've been doing it since sometime 2016 or so, which means we should have more episodes than we do, but we've had 77 episodes now. Um, It really is just a place for us to A, update people on what we're doing as a company, and then also talk about game industry, movie news, TV shows, just bullshit. Me and some of the guys like to bullshit, so... So we have the podcast, we have the website, we have the Postal 4K UHD Blu-ray coming out, but what's next with Running With Scissors? I know you're always working on patches or upgrades and whatnot, but any plans for a Postal 5 even? What can the good folks at home look forward to? Uh, we're not currently designing Postal 5. We are still working on Postal 4. You know, we Like I said, we didn't release it in the best possible way, so we are currently working on quote-unquote finishing the game. And we have co-op coming out for it this year. Since it is out on PlayStation, we also have to pay our porting team to bring over features from the PC that we work on. So probably the rest of this year, we'll be just continuing to work on and fix Postal 4, as well as updating Postal 2 and and maybe fixing some stuff with Postal Redux. Um, That isn't to say we aren't designing things in the background. We definitely are. So stay tuned. Nothing really to to announce yet. The website is runningwithscissors.com. Go check it out. Mike, last thing before we get you out of here. As of the release of this episode today, we are only one day removed from President's Day. And I got to ask you, what's the deal with mattress sales on President's Day? Do you have the inside scoop on any of that, Mike? 
Um, I'm guessing that presidents like to have sex. <laughs> Chief Bidet Officer Mike Jarrett from Running With Scissors has been my guest today. Hey, Mike, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today on Massacre Radio. All the best to you and uh, with the Postal Franchise, man. Of course. Thank you, my friend. Massacre Radio. So, how about it, Boppers? Massacre Radio 32 is in the books. Thanks again to my guest today, Mike Jarrett from Running With Scissors. Hey, side note here, I actually misspelled the word scissors in my 6th grade spelling bee, you know. Up there on the mic in a small gymnasium and the whole class heard it. I felt like an idiot. A feeling I got familiar with throughout my life. Anyway, that about does it for this installment of Massacre Radio. As always, I've been your host, Members Only Dave, and I'll talk at you next week. What you talking about, asshole?